Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Recently, I was invited to contribute to a series of interviews in Authority Magazine, which is an online publication. The topic of the interviews and the articles is the future of work. My submission was to include my predictions for the top five trends to watch for in connection with the future of work. Now, the trend I feel most strongly about is the resurgence of unionism. In fact, I discussed the labor management relationship in my new book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. I don't go into a lot of depth, but I think people should know about labor management relations. And I identify some terms that I don't think everyone is familiar with. But if you are employed in a union environment, absolutely, there are some terms that you should know about and some concepts you should know about. Now, for most of my legal and labor relations career, I've represented management But I have the utmost respect for for unions, and you may ask why. Well, personally, I feel like it's embedded in my DNA because my parents were union officials and union members. Now, as I looked online for information about how unions are doing, I came across an article uh, that focused on an interview with Rebecca, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Collins Jabon who's an associate professor of labor studies and employment relations at Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations. She says that only 11% of American workers are in unions. But listen, 11% of American workers are in unions, but that equates to 14 million people. That's a lot of people. But significantly, the numbers hide the various differences based on region and industry. For example, in New Jersey, 16% of workers are unionized and 60% of public sector workers are unionized. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which side you support, union membership numbers are way down from 50 years ago. But personally, I believe that's going to change. 
Ms. Javon says that the numbers are increasing in certain sectors. And the Rutgers Today, which is the publication her interview appeared in, calls this a new reinvigorated labor movement. Arnold Shep Cohen, a partner in the law firm of Oxfeld and Cohen, is my guest today. Mr. Cohen concentrates his practice in private and public sector, labor, employment, and employment benefits laws. Now, he has a very impressive, very lengthy bio. I'm going to give you some highlights, and I uh, recommend you to his website. Again, it's Oxfeld and Cohen, and they're based in Newark, New Jersey. Mr. Cohen has negotiated a voluminous number of labor agreements and handled thousands of arbitrations and administrative hearings in various industries and levels of government. He is the former chair of the Labor and Employment Law Section of the New Jersey State Bar Association, a fellow in the College of Labor and Employment Lawyers, and has been an adjunct professor for over 30 years at Rutgers School of Law in Newark, where he teaches a labor arbitration seminar a labor negotiation seminar, and alternative dispute resolution. Mr. Cohen is the former editor-in-chief of the New Jersey Labor and Employment Law Quarterly. He was a member of the editorial board of the New Jersey Lawyer, and he is an editor and co-author of New Jersey Labor and Employment Law. He is also a founding master of the Sidney Reitman Employment Law in of Court. Mr. Cohen holds an A.B. summa cum laude from Rutgers College, a J.D. from Rutgers School of Law in Newark, and an L.L.M. in Labor Law from New York University School of Law. Welcome, Arnie. Thank you so much for taking the time from what I know is your busy schedule to discuss the state of American labor unions. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Now. Arnie, we go way back, and and you know I'm I'm a person of strong opinions. I would describe the state of labor management relations in America as strained. How would you describe it? It's strained in certain areas. Other areas, it's not strained. For example, an area where it is strained definitely is in education, where you have uh, a whole battle over virtual versus in-class studies. That's a strained area. Some areas are strained as well, which had not been in the past, the healthcare fighting over COVID. So I think the uh, pandemic has put a strain on on all of us and has definitely put a strain on labor management relations. No, I think that's fair. I mean, we're living in unusual times. But even before the pandemic struck, I think that there was a tension between, you know, there's an innate tension by virtue of, of their positions. But I think there was a level of distrust between employees and employers. And I think that distrust or that lack of trust gives rise to discord. No, I, I agree with you there. In many instances, there were. I see that a lot of places that are being unionized, uh, the workers, although their pocketbook issues might be important to them, things like transparency, dialogue are, are more important because the workers want to have a say 
in what's happening in the workforce, and they don't believe that they're being told the truth. Absolutely. I agree with you. That's true. And although I see or I believe that there will be a resurgence of unionism, I don't know whether unionism is going to do for employees what they might feel that it will do, what they might think that it will do. Because we know that there are management rights clauses and that everything is not negotiable. I don't know that employees will accept that. Well, it's you say management rights clauses and, and not everything is negotiable. In the public sector, it's much more restrictive, the subjects that can be negotiated as opposed to the private sector. In the public sector, as you mentioned, in New Jersey, 60% of the uh, public sector workforce is, is organized. One of the reasons for that is that public sector employers don't take the hardline stance against unions that private sector employers do. So given that, you might not get everything you want from a union, but you will get a say because under both private sector and public sector uh, laws, when you sit down and negotiate a contract, the union is an equal partner with management. Whether management feels that way or doesn't, they're, they're equal, equal partners, and the same thing in the public sector. Uh, so as an equal partner, you have to sit down and negotiate, and workers get their positions known uh, through those negotiations and also when they're fighting to um, enforce their contracts. The management rights clause, yes, it can be somewhat restrictive, but that's a lot of it's negotiable. It doesn't have to be that way. Certain things are non-negotiable, but a lot of it is negotiable. And if the union was unsuccessful in this round of negotiations, to broaden the scope of the areas that it wants to have covered in its contract, next time it can try to do better. I think the way I'm thinking of it is this. I've talked to a good number of people in various demographics, various races, nationalities over the past 10 years that I've been working on career-related issues, employment-related issues. And there are people, employees, some employed, some not employed, who feel very strongly about certain things, whether it's environmental things, whether it's things that may fall outside of terms and conditions of employment. For example, if I feel strongly that there should be 10 people working on a project rather than five that the employer thinks should be working on a project, that's really not my call. That's not something that the union is liable or likely to negotiate. But there may be a segment of the workforce that feels very strongly about that. Now, I understand that unions can bargain about certain aspects of staffing, but by and large, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, staffing generally is left to management to determine. It normally is, although there's a, a broader scope of what can be negotiated in the private sector than in the public sector in that area. Yeah, absolutely. Public sector, and for the people listening, public sector is different for many reasons, but <laughs> I think it's different primarily because. There are public funds involved. Yes, the public funds involved. And, and on top of that, the public interest is involved. 
But although public sector unions in New Jersey are uh, it's illegal to strike, you have the power of the uh, of voting, and you can vote out your boss, which you can't do anywhere else. But that's not in every situation. You can vote out, for example, a mayor, but yeah. you can't don't vote out a supervisor in, uh, say, City Hall. Correct. But you can vote out the mayor, and the new mayor might fire your boss. But, you know, and although there's some degree of certainty, especially if parties change, there are civil service situations in the public sector. Correct. So they may have civil service protection, so I may not be able to read. See, that's the point, Arnie. There are limitations to what unions can do. And I think, in my mind, one of the most important steps to take is to educate people about labor unions and what labor unions can do and what they can't do, what terms and conditions of employment mean, and things like that. There are, I think people, I think I'm very in favor, very in favor of managing expectations. I don't like to go into a situation thinking that I can achieve X when I can only achieve, in a real sense, X minus five. And people don't know. They don't have a working knowledge. They may think they know what a labor union can do, but they may not, what they think may not be accurate. One of the worst things that a union can do in its organizing campaign when it's trying to organize a workforce is to uh, do exactly what you're saying, raise expectations to a level that can't be achieved. Uh, You have to be straight with your workers uh, or potential members. And you can't really, uh, because you're in for trouble if you do that, because you're not going to achieve it. Then the workers will come back and say, why did you promise such and such when uh, that was impossible? And it's just not a a good idea to do that at all. It it leads to trouble. No, you're absolutely right. But uh, now, what do you envision for unions going forward? Unions are going to have to reinvent themselves to a certain extent. In the early days of the you know, 20th century, unions were organizing factories, assembly lines, but there's a whole new workforce out there, a group of young people who are more inclined towards unions. So the unions have to go into service areas more, maybe healthcare more, go into uh, social media areas, and should it adapt themselves to the different issues. Younger people are uh, often more interested in lifestyle issues, dialogue, uh, things like that, uh, as opposed to uh, monetary issues. Uh, So those are some of the areas that unions should focus on when they're uh, reinventing themselves and trying to appeal to a, a new audience. I mean, public opinion is more favorable for unions now than it's been in many years, and they should capitalize on that. Well, I think you've touched on something that I absolutely agree with. And I don't know whether employers or labor unions are going to be as transparent as employees may want both sides to be. I think that's the problem. Therein lies the rub. Transparency is important to employees, but 
labor unions, as well as employers, typically operate on a need-to-know basis. And if you don't need to know, they're not usually going to share the information with you. Or they will give you maybe a little of the information, but you won't get a deep dive and you won't get the backstory, why it's being done. There may be some transparency, but it's not going to be the transparency that I think employees want. I hesitate to use the word demand because they are demanding it in some instances. I have an example right now, which is a case which is going to arbitration. And there's a contract language which says that you can't, you can hire temporary employees, but only up to 90 days. So the union wants to monitor whether the employer is complying with that provision. So they ask for a list of the temporary employees. The employer won't give it because the contract doesn't say you have to hand over a list of, of names. So we're in arbitration over that. Uh, you know, there's some something that uh, an example of when an employer is just being, uh, you know, wrong, and they're going to lose the arbitration. Although it's not in the contract, it's clear that it's something that has to be provided to the workers or to the union to monitor whether the employer is complying with the contract. There's a perfect example of non-transparency. Well, and that leads to another issue. Arguably, if the people that are working as temporary people, temporary workers, they may be working in violation of law. If they're using, if they're working more than 90 days, they may over time be considered employees entitled to employee benefits and eligible for union membership. Correct. That's one of the reasons why I assume the employer doesn't want to provide the information. The other thing is they may be, they may have the temporary employees stop working for a few days and then bring them back. Yep. It's just, you know, they work for nine days, then they're off for two or three days and they come back. Right. And they come back for another 90. They may not want to see that. I mean, Arnie, you know, there's so many, so many ways that Unions can be helpful, but I've always found in my experience, and when I say always, it's limited to my experience, obviously, but I've always found that when there's a a respectful civil relationship between labor and management, it benefits the union, it benefits the employers, and most importantly, it benefits the employees. Absolutely. I've been told, I guess off the record by, management lawyers that where there is a union, there's usually a better operated facility than when there's no union because this way there's a check on on the managers, which they normally don't have, and the supervisors. Well, you know, that's true because the other thing I found is that everyone in a managerial position, in a supervisory position, is not a good supervisor. Everyone is not a, who has a leadership role is not a good leader, and therein the employees suffer, and that causes a lot of I don't know more than distrust, and it's more than frustration. It's really resentment because that employees know who's a good manager and who's not a good manager, and when people who are not good at their jobs are elevated. That really cuts to the core 
of the labor management relationship, and it really adversely impacts the employee's perception of the employer and the business and how, what it would take, how they can move forward. And I mean, by forward, I mean in a promotional direction. And there, that results in frustration, resentment, and just a negative attitude about work generally. That's why when a union comes in and they suggest have uh, a dialogue, have meetings every month or every uh, every other month or every few weeks, whatever, uh, with management relating to um, a variety of issues, they can raise the issue that the, the manager is not doing a good job. And if they raise that issue, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but at least it's on the table and uh, someone can look into it. And then an employer might use uh, an outside consultant or, or a coach to help them uh, get their managers to be more receptive to the, uh, the workforce. But these are things that unions can bring in into the discussion. No, you know, that's something I really hadn't thought of it that way, but it, you're right. That's, that's really um, a role that, that unions could play and it would add value not only to its members, but to the employer also. Have you had much success in, in getting um, employers to see that? Some, yes, some, some success, absolutely. And That's great. It's, hard to, it's hard to convince an employer that they need someone to help them manage the workforce, but once they uh, agree to it, they realize that it's uh, you know, not a bad idea and it helps everybody. You know, no one is bound by what these discussions uh, talk about, but at least it's a starting point. But now, I think unions will come back. I think the numbers will increase. I think they will move forward with more gusto because employees are not going to be happy with their the limitations that they will still have. But I also know from personal experience that employers are not going to sit idly by and let unions resurrect and come back with the force and effect that they once had in the workplace. They'll fight that tooth and nail. And I mean more than just Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Absolutely. But there's a difference between the public sector and the private sector. In the private sector, the, um, the laws are slanted towards management. Uh, they can delay uh, elections, and the more they delay, the more uh, the workforce loses interest in the union. Then after the contract, uh, if there is a, an election and the union happens to win, then the employer, there's a second hurdle, and that's getting that first contract. Because after the union can't be thrown out by its members for one year after the there's a certification by the National Labor Relations Board of the union as the representative, but after one year. So some employers just take their time and uh, and slow things down and then hope that the union will uh, be decertified, it's called, by its membership. So that's one thing. And then in the public sector, management often doesn't, for a lot of different reasons, often doesn't take a position or they stay neutral. And if they stay neutral and there's no one fighting against a public sector union, they normally win their elections. So uh, they do much better in the public sector than in the private sector. But 
overall, I think the younger uh, workforce is more prone now to uh, unionization for different reasons, not necessarily economic reasons, but for, uh, like I said, lifestyle issues and uh, just having uh, a part of the control over the uh, the operation of the company. The sense I get is that you're hopeful that this will all work out so that unions will come back. I'm hopeful, yes. I'm, I'm hopeful, not, n- not necessarily... Uh, optimistic. Op- op- optimistic. Not, not negative either, but uh, hopeful. No. I've seen this over the years. I've been practicing labor law, representing unions for over 40 years, and uh, there's been a lot of talk over that 40 years, and it, it hasn't materialized to date, but maybe will. For example, there was an article in the paper about Starbucks, um, how they had organized you know, two different uh, stores in the country, and now they're building up momentum, and there's about uh, 15 or 20 that are, are being organized. But even so, there there are hundreds, you know, hundred fifty thousand workers who work for Starbucks. So even if you organize, you know, half of the workforce, you're, you're still under hundred thousand people. But you know, maybe maybe they'll uh, lead the way. Well, is Starbucks management receptive to that? They haven't been, but what they raised as an issue was the fact that they're clientele or, or the, the customer is usually a, a younger, more liberal person, whatever reason, uh, goes to Starbucks. And they've hired as uh, baristas that same type of person. And that person is more prone to unionization. And it's not necessarily the economics that they're uh, fighting or bringing a union in for, but it's to have more say, to have uh, better working conditions, things like that. So you know, so far they've had, I think, two or three elections, and they, because you have to have an election at each individual store, and uh, the unions have won. So, you know, maybe that's shedding light on what the future is going to be. That's interesting. I would, and maybe you can answer this. I wonder if the employer would prefer to deal with union leadership about employee concerns or its employees. In my mind, I'm thinking that possibly it would be better to deal with the union as opposed to the individual union. I mean, individual employees. Probably so, because this way you have uh, one voice. Yeah. And another thing that you know this article pointed out was that Starbucks doesn't, if their customers are of the opinion that uh, unions are a good idea, they don't want to alienate them by being known as an anti-union uh, employer. So given that, they're probably not going to take a hard line on the union organizing efforts. Right. Well, you know, we're just about finished, but we have so much more to talk about, Arnie. Will you come back? The invitation is open whenever you think that there's something going on in your area that people should know about. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Because I appreciate, and you did this on short notice. Thank you so much. I appreciate you making yourself available. And again, Arnie is a partner in the law firm of Oxfeld and Cohen in Newark, New Jersey. If you have labor, if you want more information about labor unions, I'm sure he could put you in the right direction. If you're interested in law school, he can might be able to give you some information. And most assuredly, if you have 
If you're a member of a union and you need representation in New Jersey or elsewhere, please check out Mr. Cohen. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, Beverly, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you for the last half hour. Yes, and thank you. And don't forget to check out Arnie's show, his radio show. What station is that again, Arnie? It's The World of Work on WDVR-FM, and it's every Friday from 4 to 5. You know, I wasn't aware of the show before. I read about it in one of your bios when I was attending a, a seminar, and I've listened to it since. It has really interesting programming, and I definitely recommend it to anyone who's interested in keeping abreast of work-related issues. And again... Please check out my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. Arnie, you were going to say something? No, I'm just that uh, in July, I'll be uh, on the air. For have, it'll be my 25th anniversary on the air. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. So until next time, this is goodbye. And thank you again, Arnie, for your time and the, the wealth of information that you've shared. You're welcome. Good luck. Okay. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.